You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Okay, so uh, let's go ahead and jump in. I, I believe we ended uh, last class with talking about the logos, or as some people will say, the logos, uh, <clears throat> depending on the pronunciation you were taught. Uh, I stick to logos because most of the Romantic languages, most of the European languages use uh, this form of pronunciation, and there's no reason to think it was otherwise, but I know there's a whole argument about logos or logos, but so... Anyways, what is important here is that we're learning about Jesus and we're learning more and more about him. I'm going to do something tomorrow that I've I've not done yet. I'm going to bring my iPad so I can see the comments and so that you can send questions. We'll do a little pilot program, see how we do, because I'd love to be able to answer any questions that you have, even as we study. So I'm going to set up my iPad and I'll be able to read questions as you send them, or you can just send me a hello as I'm doing the class. But, um, so, so we talked about the logos and about the principle that it is a very, a very, uh, a, a very high ideal of the creation of the, of the reason behind creation of the creator itself. Um, both to the Jews and the Greeks, it was a very important concept. So this usage of the word is very important. I think I also covered a little bit about how, um, the spoken word of God, the words that emanate from God's mouth, uh, are powerful in and of themselves. So the word, the logos is, is important even itself. So the word, when God created things, he would literally say the word and it would be so, right? Because the power is in God and in God's word. And, and we know that from a very practical experience because um, most of us who are probably watching today, um, we, we went through a time period in our life that we studied the Bible and we changed dramatically and we became followers of Jesus. And that change, that transformation of our minds and our hearts was not because of clever arguments or because of really nice people that introduced us to Jesus. It was because the power of the word of God, as we read Jesus' life, as we read the gospels, as we read the scriptures that we studied, they changed us. They, they were in a very real way, like that double-edged sword that Hebrews talks about, penetrating our hearts, penetrating, penetrating our souls, dividing uh, bone and marrow, d- just digging deep inside us and changing us. And that's, that's the power of the word. And in Hebrew, every word and even every letter behind the word has a meaning, has a purpose, says something about the word. And the word is power. The word is, is effective and able to change us. So, so saying that Jesus is the word of God is a big deal. It's a huge thing. There's a, there's a rich and very deep theology tied into this. So the word of God, that's Jesus. He is God's word, and um, and he comes down and lives among us, as it says in uh, verse 14 of John chapter 1. So um, the other thing I do want to hit in John, um, and we're using kind of John to wrap up the study on Jesus, but also to segue us right back to John again. But um, the statements, the, the I am statements, and these are very important again because um, 
They are, first of all, the words of God for describing himself. The classic examples in Exodus 3.14, when Moses is asking God, you know, he's, he's about ready to be sent back to Egypt. God wants him to go back to Egypt. And he comes up with all his excuses, right? And then he finally, you know, as, as he accepts the role, he asked God, God said to Moses, uh, he asked God, who shall I say sent me? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And that I am, or I, it's, I was explained that it's the concept is, like I am the being one, the one who is, the one who is and always is, the one who is, was, and shall be. It's the the ever present I am, the ever present being. It's a it's a huge statement, you know. And in fact, uh, in the Greek, it's kind of a double statement. It's I I am, I me am the one, you know. So it stands out. It it, it stands out. Uh, to the listener, but then the fact that it's used again and again. And in fact, there are, there are 24 recorded times in, in the book of John where Jesus says, I am. So every one of those, it's like a ding, 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 reminding them that he is God, that he is as, as is, as was God, as is God, and as God shall be, so is Jesus. Um, and there are, there are seven that are classic, the classic statements, and these are more almost like proclamations, so they stand out. Um, I am the bread of life. Uh, that, in a case, and of course, the bread of life was how God kept the Israelites alive when they were crossing the desert. The manna that came down from heaven that, um, Jesus keeps us alive daily. He keeps us going. Uh, that just as manna kept them alive in the desert through all the trials and tribulations they went through, they were kept alive. Jesus keeps us alive. He says, I am the light of the world. And I think we, we've already discussed, you know, light and what it is and what it represents and all of that, everything from, from illumination, education, uh, becoming aware, becoming knowledgeable, being able to see, being able to understand, uh, being able to foresee, being able to, to recognize danger, recognize the path, recognize what is right, what is wrong. I mean, all of this is why you turn the lights on at night, right? So you don't trip over things, so you don't fall into danger. And why are scary movies always in the dark? Because you can't see, because you don't know what's going on. And darkness represents ignorance and and lack of knowledge, but light represents knowledge and understanding. So he is the light of the world. I am the doorway. This is probably, I would say, one of the most controversial because we live in a pluralistic society where people believe that there are many ways to heaven. There are many paths to God, and Jesus is only one of them. While Jesus would emphatically say, no, I am the way, the truth, life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he is the only path to God. He is the way to reach and be with God. And that's, and he's the doorway. So he keeps, he decides who comes in, who doesn't come in. Or, or it's through him that either they will be with Jesus or they will not be with Jesus. So that's a very significant one. I am the good shepherd. Um, he's, he's the caretaker. And then keep in mind that, that Jesus doesn't have to come in this form. He could have come just as the ruler and saying, look, 
you all better obey or you're in trouble, right? But he chooses to come as a good shepherd. And, and everybody knows, especially in an agrarian society, the sheep cannot survive without the shepherd. They would quickly become prey of wild animals. And the shepherd takes care of them. The shepherd defends them. The shepherd also disciplines them when need be. The shepherd feeds them. The shepherd, you know, uh, guides them to the green pastures, takes them out in the day to the meadows where they can graze, and then brings them back in to shelter and safety at night. Um, and that's, I mean, we, we, we kind of take for granted a lot of times that we think, well, of course Jesus is going to take care of me, but he didn't have to. I mean, that's, that's who he chose to be just as God chooses to love us and God chooses to take care of us. He chooses to present himself as a loving father. He did in, in one sense, he doesn't have to. Um, but yet in another sense, he does and that he is love and that he can't be anything else but love. But we don't have to be the effects, the, 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 the recipient of his love, but he chooses that. So God's not obligated. He's not bound. He's not, there's nobody above God making God do this. And this is, there's nobody making Jesus except Jesus is God. And so his form of love is as a good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. Of course, that one is obvious, you know, that, that, that we receive eternal life through Jesus, that as he rose from the dead, so shall we. He's the first among many is what the Bible says. Okay. So he leads the way. He's the pioneer of our faith is what the, is what Hebrews explains. Um, and then I am the way, the truth and life. Okay. That's the triple one right there. The way, and, uh, and I've talked about the, the way being, uh, a very, uh, uh, a very rich theme from Genesis to Revelation. It's a, it's a really cool study. If you want to do a Bible study, study out the way. Um, the way there's Isaiah talks, the way of the righteous, the way of the Lord. It's a theme that goes all the way through the Bible, that there's a path. You know, I, I, uh, I grew up very, spending a lot of time on an Indian reservation in Nevada. And, and I love one of the concepts, one of the Native American concepts is everybody has a path to follow, right? That uh, you're on a good path. You're not on a, you're on a bad path. But there is a path that you should follow. Well, Jesus said he is the path, right? There may be many paths, but he is the path. He's the path that God has cleared for us. And if you will just simply walk that path, your life will be awesome. Even if it's under hardship, even if it's under pandemics and wars and famine and all that other stuff, you can still have an awesome life. By following Jesus, and no matter where we are, what we are going through, and 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 I just will say this, so that I think I fear sometimes we have the wrong theology. In that I hear people say that, well, everything is for a reason, and you know God must have wanted that. So you'll hear tragedies, and or you know somebody dies in a car accident or something, and someone says, well, I guess that's what the Lord wanted, and we have to keep in mind always that. That Jesus himself said, the ruler of this world is who? Satan. That the devil rules this world. Okay, so it, that's why we're supposed to pray for the Lord's will to be done. That's why we're supposed to pray that things on earth be like things in heaven. 
because they're not, you know, they're not. And all you got to do is turn on the six o'clock news and you can clearly see that a lot of bad garbage is happening out there. That is not God's will. And, um, and we have this broken or misplaced theology thinking that everything happens because God wants it to happen. No, many things happen that are not what God wanted and not God's will. That's why we strive to do God's will and we pray for God's will to be done because that's always better. So that path is your deciding to do God's will. It's you saying, I'm going to follow God's will. I'm going to go down the road that God has cleared for me and wants me to go down. And then, of course, the truth, um, uh, th- that, you know, th- that is such a big issue in our postmodern world where truth is, you know, it's, it went from being a rock to being like a, like Play-Doh where everybody shapes it and forms it into whatever they want it to be. And that's not the way truth really is. There is an absolute truth. And in our world today, there is no absolute truth. So an event that happens, we don't even look at what is the truth of that event. We all, everybody interprets it and depends on which news station you watch, they're going to interpret it different. Depends on who you talk to, they're going to interpret it different. And in fact, if you say emphatically, this is the way something is, you're considered narrow-minded. When it comes to be things of God, there is a certain way that things are. There is a truth. One of those truths is there is a God. Another truth is there is Jesus, the Savior of all of us. And that's the truth. That's just like it or not. Um, not a popular message, but it's the truth <laughs> it is the way it really is. And then, of course, the last one, the life. And I've talked many times already about the difference between bios and zoe, which are the two Greek words for life. And so bios being bio, like biology, biography, something that's alive. A plant has bios, an ant has bios, a human has bios. But zoe is the quality of life. It's what we say when you, it's what we mean when we say he's got a really good life or life has gone really well. Or I'm very happy with my life. It's, it's what Jesus meant when he said, I've become give life and life to the full. You know, the quality of that life, that of your existence. So he is the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, that's just, boom, there it all is right there, right? And then lastly, I am the true vine. That, that, that we come, we have to be connected to Jesus. It's absolutely important that we're connected to him. John 15 really makes that clear uh, that our relationship with him is everything. And we can't, you know, again, stating the obvious, I can be Captain Obvious at times, but sometimes it's good to state the obvious because we forget, you know, you cannot be a Christian without the Christ. You cannot be. There was a, a study done once by um, by the Barna Institute, and they wanted to show that, uh, the difference that Jesus makes in people's lives. So they did this massive research study. They asked all these questions, survey, and the questions were like, like, um, do you watch pornography? Yes or no? Do, uh, do, you know, a scale of one to 10, how happy are you with your marriage? You know, uh, uh, do you get along with your children? Do your children, you know, all these questions, uh, are you addicted to drugs or anything? What they wanted to do was to show the difference between those 
who know Jesus and those who don't know Jesus. Well, how do you know the ones who don't Jesus? Well, they, they pick the people that go to church regularly. So it's people who regularly attend and are involved in a church versus people who don't go to church, are not involved, and don't call themselves Christians. The big study was done. The results came in. And boy, was it shocking, but not the way they thought it was going to be. The fact is that in most areas, there wasn't a significant difference between the churchgoers and the non-churchgoers. And most categories were a little bit better with the churchgoers, but not much. And there were even a couple of categories that were worse than church go- the non-churchgoers. And so the big question was, does Jesus really make a difference in your life? And now any of us who have lived a devoted life to Jesus, hopefully as disciples, any of us who are disciples, we know he makes a big difference. We know our lives radically changed. We know that you cannot, if anytime you put Jesus in the mix, it makes a huge difference in marriage and family and purity and, and righteousness, all those areas. So what was up with that study? Well, what it, what I believe it really showed was that people don't know Jesus. That's the real issue. You can go to church. You can carry around a Bible. But that doesn't mean you know Jesus. That doesn't mean you walk with him. That doesn't mean that he is such a great part of your life that he's able to empower you to overcome sin or that he's able to strengthen you when you're weak or that he's able to be your rock. I mean, just because we say we believe in him doesn't necessarily mean we do. In fact, in Matthew 7, 21, he told a group of religious, very religious people who are casting out demons in his name. You remember that? He says, what does he say to them? Away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. And there's a Hebrew word, yadaba, which means to really intimately know somebody. That is very significant. That's a whole nother study you could do someday. Um, and the Hebrew concept of Yada, which is to really know God um, or to know Jesus. But knowing Jesus is a big deal. So that's what the whole true vine thing is, is, you know, it. and, and the problem with the English is we only have one word, know. So do I know who, you know, gosh, do I know, do I know who Clint Eastwood is? Of course I know him. Do you really know him? No, I don't know him. But I know who he is. And if I saw him at a mall, I could say, hey, look, there's Clint Eastwood. But he wouldn't look at me and go, hey, there's Robert Carrillo. We don't have a relationship. I just know him. I know who he is. You know, I know who the president is. I know who, you know, I know who who um, a lot of famous people are, but that doesn't mean I have a relationship with them. I do think that that is a huge problem in our world is is that people think that because they know who Jesus is, that means they know him. And as I've shared before, uh, the really sad thing is that generations growing up today don't even know who he is, let alone know him. So being connected to Jesus, it's a huge thing. And it's becoming bigger and bigger and more and more important with every year that passes. We are, we are in many ways, in my opinion, becoming more and more like the first century world where we live in a very pluralistic society and in a world that's very interconnected and where people just simply don't know Jesus. They know religion. 
And they have lots of religions out there, but they don't really know Jesus. And that is becoming our world all over again. We're coming full circle. And, and I know that, you know, there's some really bad things about that, that society doesn't know God and doesn't know Jesus. And yet there's some good things in this in that we get to present the real Jesus. And you're getting to know the real Jesus and able to share the real Jesus. Not some nice symbolic surfer dude carrying around a lamb that just makes you feel good when you're down. But the person, the one who can raise the dead, the one who can transform lives, the ones who can set you free from addictions and, and anything else that's kept you captive, that Jesus. So he is the true vine. So it makes sense. Those are the I am statements. And then, of course, we also have the seven signs, which uh, the seven signs are, and, and, and keep in mind, there's there are many others that we get from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but John was written purposely just covering seven miracles. There aren't a bunch of others. He covers the seven because they're all significant. And they're all in there. They all mean something. So we've already, you know, just in our study of John, we've already went through chapter two when he changed the water to wine at the wedding banquet. Remember? And there's a boatload of, of theology behind that. When you think about, okay, what was the water used for? It's for ceremonial washing. Well, what is that? That's a purification. And Jesus turns it into wine. What does wine represent later on? Well, it represents his blood. What does his blood do? It purifies us. It cleanses us. Where are they? They're at a banquet. What is, what do banquets represent in the gospels? They represent heaven, right? So though here we are to, you're at a banquet and you need purification. You need the blood of Jesus. And so Jesus changes water to wine, which represents blood. It's all kind of planting seeds about for what is coming ahead of us. What's happening. It's a sign point saying Jesus that way, right? Um, healing of the official son, the mere word, boom, he heals them. Okay. Again, pointing us to God. Jesus is God with the word. He can make miracles happen. He can just say it, bam, and it happens. The healing at the pool with Bethsaida, with Beth, Bethesda, you know, the, the, remember he goes, asked the man, do you want to get well? Well, what can appear like a stupid question, of course, the man's been an invalid for what was it? 38 years. Of course, he's going to want to get well, but he's got to do something. Sometimes we whine and we complain about how bad things are, but we don't do anything. You've got to do it. You've got to find Jesus. You know, if you don't know Jesus at all, you got to go get yourself a Bible and you got to start reading and you got to pray and you got to ask for help and you got to humble yourself and ask somebody to teach you. If you know Jesus, but you have leveled out or plateaued in your relationship. Well, you got to get up and push. You got to go read some good books or do some great Bible studying or watch these videos or something to make your knowledge grow and your understanding grow and you can grow in your relationship. Hopefully, I mean, the whole purpose of these videos is to help us to know Jesus better. If you watch all these videos, you're essentially getting a graduate course on Jesus. Because we're already on video number, I don't even know what it is. This is, this is probably video number 25 or so, uh, on, on Jesus or the Gospel of John. You put those together. Boy, you've got a graduate course on Jesus. And, and hopefully we've learned a lot more and we appreciate him more. Right? So then you've also got the feeding of the 5,000. Okay. In John chapter six, 
And wow, was that an incredible event. You know, there were actually two very similar, at least two that are recorded. There may have been more. There may have been multiple ones. But the point showing that, that, that God feeds us just the same way again, once again, the way God fed the people that were led out of Egypt. He kept them alive. He kept them going. God takes care of us. And there's, there's your point right there. He is the bread of life, right? But he's, he, and God, but, and he, and as the bread of life, he provides the bread. He provides what is needed. Um, then of course, walking on water and some would, would, would relate that to, when they crossed the Red Sea and the sea was split and a miracle happened to save them, right? Um, when they crossed the Jordan into the promised land, the Jordan River stopped and they walked across dry land to take the promised land. Both of those water incidents were leading to something great. So Jesus walking on water, you know, there was the, the, the Jesus saves them. They all thought they were going to die. They were scared. He saves them and he's showing himself again as God in the flesh. And of course, healing the man born blind, he helps us all to see. There are many, many, many references in all the gospels really about seeing, but not understanding or not perceiving or hearing, but not understanding that what we see, we must understand. We must get how important that is. And God can help us see Jesus help people to open their eyes and to see. And then last sign that this is a pretty big one, you know, the resurrection of Lazarus. I mean, that's, that was just undeniable proof. That, that slammed the Pharisees with their backs against the wall. And from that point on, they were trying to kill him because how do you stop this guy? <laughs> He's raising people from the dead. I mean, <clears throat> you could say some of the other things were parlor tricks, but not raising the dead. That's just off the chart. Nobody has ever done that. And here Jesus does it. And that, again, obviously a sign pointing to the fact that he will rise from the dead. And that this is the kind of power that we're dealing with. A power that's greater than death itself. Which is pretty awesome. So so everything's pointing at Jesus. Everything's showing us. And, and you know, the... the, the, the all these things are, are, as I've said, are signs. They're, they're like the sign saying, New York's this way. They're like the sign saying, caution, danger ahead. They're like the sign saying, turn right here. They're like the sign saying, you want to go this city, go this way, right? And this is how far it is. All of these signs are, they're directing us to the end goal, which is to be with God forever. And, and, you know, here's the thing. There, there is a heaven. There is a judgment. There is a, there is an eternity. And you want to make sure you're prepared for that because our lives, as the Bible says, it's a mist. It's just boom, here today, gone tomorrow. And eternity is so much longer. It's so much more than life here. And so we need Jesus here, one, for the time that we are here, but also to prepare for eternity. And we need the real Jesus and we need the truth of Jesus, who he really is. The world right now is full of false teachings about Jesus. And uh, whether you turn on the History Channel and they got some quack there talking about the historical Jesus and how he probably married uh, Mary and and not not his mother Mary, but the other Mary and Magdalene, and 
they had children and all this stuff. They're just quacks out there saying wacky stuff. I've lost all respect for the History Channel and other channels because they show this stuff as though it were facts. When it's not, and they say stuff that we I know is not right. I mean, it's not even debatable. They'll say, nobody knows this mystery. I'm like, I could show you five books where they explain that mystery, where we know exactly what happened there. And and it's all lopsided. I remember one of my professors was asked to appear on the History Channel about the Antichrist. And he said, well, I'll, I'll tell you right now, the Antichrist is not one person. It's a series of people who oppose Jesus. And there may be one in particular you want to know about, but it, but it, the the revelation does not just talk about like one individual who's going to rise up. It's anybody who opposes Jesus and his, and his teachings. And they said, well, no, no, we want you to talk about the one that will rise up and rule the world. And my professor said, well, I can't tell you that because that's, that's a Hollywood, uh, fiction person, not, not, not a biblical person. And they said, okay, well, thank you very much. No, thank you. And they moved on and they found somebody else to talk about the fictional antichrist. And it just shows you they weren't even searching for the truth. They were searching for a, for a scandalous story. And, and the world is full of that right now. And there's so much misinformation. And not to mention that three of the largest religions out there are teaching alternate Jesuses. And that's just so bad when the real Jesus is right in front of us. And so that's what this is about that's why we do this thing that's why you want to know the real jesus he's awesome you want to know the one who turned water to wine the one who is the bread the life the way the truth the life the one who is the true vine that's the jesus you want to know you know in in ad 325 they had the council of nicaea and there were so many wacky teachings out there already about jesus so they wrote down what does it really, what does a real Christian really believe? What does a true Christian truly believe? And so I want to read this to you because, um, it just, it has it here and we'll end it. We'll end this series with this. Uh, this is the Nicene Creed. Okay. It was updated in, uh, 380 something, I think 84 or 89. Um, and then it's been worked on since, and there's been different denominations that will tweak it a little bit and have their own. If you grew up Catholic, you had the Catholic Creed. Um, the Apostles' Creed, I believe, is what it was called. Very similar. Um, it's, it's, it's the creed that pretty much unites all of Christendom. And this was kind of the standard of who believes and lives according to this creed is a true Christian. And um, I'll tell you one thing right now. The word Catholic means universal. So when you hear it, that's what it means, okay? It doesn't mean the group called the Catholic Church. It means the universal church. So, but I want you to just, I'm close out with this. Just listen, because this was as of 325 AD, what the leaders of the churches that gathered wanted everybody to know, this is what true Christianity is. I believe... And I love the way it starts because it's a, it's a creed. It's what you attest to, what you witness to. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, 
true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, and by the Holy Spirit was was incarnate of the Virgin Mary, and became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, he suffered death and was buried, and rose again on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, and who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic universal, remember, an apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. So there's Jesus right smack dab in the middle of all this, of what we believe and who we are. And we're called Christians or Christians because we follow the Christ. So I hope this helps. And um, thank you for joining us for the study of Jesus. We'll get back to the studies of John soon. And we'll have some Q&A tomorrow. Thank you very much. God bless you. You've just listened to the Metro LA Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com.